0: The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin was first published in 1894 and is widely recognized as one of Chopin's most popular works.
1: The Story of an Hour follows Mrs. Louise Mallard as the news of her husband's death is broken to her. In a twist ending, it is revealed that her husband is still alive, causing her to drop dead.
0: In this episode, we will discuss Chopin as a pioneer of feminist literature and symbols within the story.
1: This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello. I'm Hannah. And I'm John.
0: And we're your new favorite literary nerds.
1: So, do you want to start, Hannah?
0: I think I will. So, to better understand the story, I think we need some background of the author. Catherine O'Flattery was born in St. Louis in 1850. She was born to Irish and French parents and was bilingual. Many historians believe that a lot of her French influence comes from her mother. But, I think... That since she moved to New Orleans after she married Oscar Chopin, that's where a lot of the influence actually comes from in her writing.
1: That's an interesting point, but I think her mother had a great influence on her life as well.
0: No, for sure. I just think with a lot of her writing taking place in Louisiana, living there in her 20s to 30s would have been a really huge impact on her life.
1: I don't disagree with you, but I think her mother had just as much of an influence, if not more, than living in Louisiana did.
0: I agree, especially since many historians cite that the women in her life really made an impact on her writing as she writes about a lot of women.
1: That's a good point, especially since the story of an hour is autobiographical in nature. Kate Chopin's husband also died and left her widowed as Mrs. Mallard's husband did, which is where I think a lot of the character's inner thoughts come from about this situation.
0: Yes, and to expand on that point, Kate Chopin kept a diary and would write all the time. Specifically of her husband, she said he was the right man and how she didn't feel strange about marrying him. And I don't know about you, but that kind of seems a weird way to describe your husband.
1: Well, Kate Chopin was alive a long time ago, and a lot has changed in that time, including our society's view on love. Love back then definitely wasn't what we view love as now, and the right man might have been enough love for her or any normal person back then.
0: That's fair, and we're definitely viewing this with a more modern lens when... It was in a different time, and even the story itself takes place in a different time period.
1: In a modern lens, is going to be inevitable as we look at works that were written in the past, but it's important to keep in mind. Going back to the diary, she also wrote about her husband in her diary a lot. Just a month after writing the story of an hour, she wrote in her diary that if her husband had lived, she would have had to give up 10 years of her growth, her real growth, she said. But in the very next sentence, she admits that she would have happily given up those 10 years in the spirit of perfect acquiescence.
0: That's an interesting point, especially because in those 10 years after her husband's death, she moved back to St. Louis, and that's really when she began writing more fiction.
1: That links to the story really nicely, because right after Mrs. Mallard hears about her husband's death, she locks herself in the bathroom and starts chanting, free. Over and over again, the same word, free. She finally felt free, and she said later that she felt that her days were finally her own. I don't know if Kate Chopin felt the same way, that her husband was holding her back, but Mrs. Mallard definitely did. And if we're going to recognize this work as her own life, then I think it's a very apt connection.
0: I definitely think the story shows a woman's perspective of marriage back in the late 1800s and how they would have felt not really having a will over their own lives. As Mrs. Mallard said, there would no longer be a powerful will bending hers.
1: Although it is a little dangerous to overgeneralize about the time period. Just because this is how Kate Chopin felt and wrote about does not mean we can apply that to all women. I think it might be true, but I don't think we can know that for sure. This is just one woman's thought for the time period, which most likely does reflect on a lot of women's thoughts that happened in that time period.
0: I agree, although I will also bring up a counterpoint, that Chopin was heavily criticized in her day for her portrayal of women. As this was her main focus in nearly all of her stories, many people didn't want to publish her because she was only writing about women, and they didn't think that was something people wanted to read about.
1: It was a man's world, though.
0: That's a fair point. I just think that Chopin did write from a realistic point of view of a woman. And though it may not necessarily be every woman at the time, it did show her own and was her own truth. And although Chopin's works were repressed in her day, in the 1960s they were brought back into light with the feminist movements of the time. And she may not have directly called for women's rights, but by accurately portraying their expansive emotions and deep intuition and thoughts... She inadvertently began a new era of American literature with the modernist and then feminist movements.
1: It is a little shocking to me that the bar was that low to be considered a feminist. All she had to do was accurately portray women's rights, and that was it. It's not like she called for women's suffrage or anything like that.
0: I would argue that the bar is still low. I mean, a feminist isn't necessarily calling for women's heightening. It's just calling for women's equality. Actually, equality for everyone, not just women. It's really not that hard.
1: Well, that is also another over-journalization, because there are some feminists out there that are calling for a woman's heightening.
0: That's fair. And we probably could argue about the movements of feminism, but I think we should get
1: into the story. I agree. To get back to the story, let's start with the symbol that I know we both noticed. The springtime that is displayed throughout the entire story.
0: So typically in literature, springtime is a symbol of new awakenings and growth. Specifically, in the story of an hour, it can be interpreted as being the new growth for Mrs. Mallard after her husband's death.
1: Yes, Mrs. Mallard doesn't really notice or acknowledge the springtime until after the news of her husband's death is broken to her.
0: So typically, when you see death in a story, you see it accompanied by winter or night as the end of something happening.
1: However, in the story of an hour, Mr. Mallard's death brought about springtime, which is in stark juxtaposition to what one would expect.
0: Which some could interpret as a red herring from Chopin. It's almost a misnomer or a distraction of sorts.
1: My initial interpretation was that Mr. Mallard's death brought about new life for Mrs. Mallard.
0: And I think his death would have, but since there is an actual death in the story, it kind of is a distractor of a symbol. It's almost a false hope of sorts. They show her the new life she could have had and then take it away instantly. Another interesting line that Chopin uses to address the springtime is when she says that, that Missus Mallard's fancy was running free with all of these days ahead of her. They list the spring days and summer days, but they never say anything about fall and winter, which is another way to illustrate that fall and winter are the end of one's life or freedom, and the spring and summer are the new life and new opportunities.
1: Yeah, she's not looking forward to days that are at the close of a year or a life in this instance, but at the beginning. She's looking forward to a new beginning for herself.
0: In spring and summer, you see longer days. You see the days getting longer and just more plentiful. And I think that's really what this symbol is alluding to.
1: Yeah, in the very next line, she says that she breathed a quick prayer that life would be long. So I think you're absolutely right there.
0: Another interesting symbol in the story is the symbol of her heart. So at the beginning of the story, they say that they took great care to tell her about the death because of her heart disease. And while this disease is never specifically named, at the end it is again said that she died of the heart disease, of a joy that kills.
1: I think the way they treat Mrs. Mallard's heart condition can be connected to the way women were treated in this time. Everyone in the town walks on eggshells around her because they are worried about her heart condition. It is said in the beginning of the story that the guy that got the telegram was very careful to alert a close friend of Mrs. Mallard's to break the news as gently as possible. And in the end, right as she dies, the same guy moves to block her husband from you for the same reason. I think this was Kate Chopin's way of addressing the way that she thought women were being treated differently and in a worse way than men were.
0: That's a really interesting comparison that I hadn't really thought of before. Whenever I thought of the heart disease, it just more of seemed how fragile her freedom was. That's kind of more of what the symbol symbolized to me. But I can see how you can compare it just to overall women's freedom at the time.
1: Well, I think it can definitely be considered both.
0: Symbols are definitely open to interpretation. One thing that kind of irks me about the doctors in the story is how they just diagnose her with a heart disease of joy that kills. That is not an accurate diagnosis by any means, and it seems like they're doing that because she's a woman, and so she's frail and fragile, and her heart just died because she was so happy.
1: That's a really good point, actually. I think you're absolutely right and that as a man, I had to consider that. Like, I honestly think that is the reason. I interpret it to be just another one of the modern lens failing us that I thought that the doctors back then were just like, oh, joy, that kills. But I, now that you say that, absolutely agree that if a man had died like this, they would have said it was a heart disease. It was cardiovascular. Myopathy. Myopathy. But I absolutely agree with you now. Like, you are opening my eyes to this issue. I do a lot of reading about the source of stuff because it pops up a lot. And a lot of women can't even get their tubes tied on their own because they're considered too young by the doctor that would perform the operation, which just pisses me off. And I'm a man. Like, it's not going to affect me. But it's just so upsetting that a doctor whom you would pay to do the procedure will not go through with it because you're too young to make this decision.
0: I'm not sure if it's still as prevalent today, but previously they would have to have their husband's written permission to get their tubes tied. They couldn't do it on their own.
1: I'm sure in some states there are still laws like that, but I think those are kind of dying out.
0: So to get back to the story, and specifically the last line of the story, which is what we'll finish out today, of joy that kills. So this line can be interpreted in many different ways. Specifically, I believe the doctor is saying it as she was so happy to see her husband, she died. But, I think as the reader is led to interpret it, is that she was so happy at the possibility of her life without her husband, she died because she saw him again.
1: That is definitely the interpretation I had as well. The doctor was just saying, oh, she was so overjoyed to see her husband again that it killed her. But obviously, I don't think that's the way it went down, and you obviously don't either. And I think the average reader also will not get that interpretation.
0: I think Chopin wanted it to be kind of an open interpretation, where the reader would get that it was because of the possibility of her life and that was the joy that she had and it wasn't the joy of seeing her husband again.
1: I wonder if she did that intentionally to kind of sugarcoat it for editors that oh no look she's so happy to see her husband in the end that she died and like could say like I'm not trying to shake things up when you know she was.
0: I think that's definitely an interesting thing to point out that maybe she did try to make it you know a little bit like lighter (laughs) a little bit more man-friendly for the readers
1: and she still had issues getting it published so i don't think it worked too well but you know it's a thought
0: and it was published and we were able to read it over a hundred years later and interpret it and talk to you about it but john if you don't have any other points i do not (laughs) i'm sure we could talk about this story for over an hour oh my god but listeners reach out to us And let us know what you thought about the story of an hour. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Thank you guys for listening. Bye! Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland.
0: It is edited by John Newland.
1: The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland.
0: The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com.
1: Web design is by Han Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com slash analytical, and you can find that link in the description.
0: All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life.
1: Please rate and review us, and subscribe to our podcast, and tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well.
0: History of Kate Chopin's life was taken from kateshopin.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time as we round out Uki spooky. with a rose for Emily by William Faulkner.